Hello, everybody. All right, thank you. Uh, wow, it's awesome seeing everyone. It's been a while since we've been on stage, so thank you. All right, uh, who's heard of the Front End Happy Hour podcast before? All right, some hands, okay. So for those of you who haven't heard, basically it's a software engineering podcast. Uh, we're very casual. We talk about a variety of different topics. And so that's really what we're going to do here is have a live panel. Um, so before we dive in, let's uh, give intros. Mars, you want to kick it off? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. Jem uh, Young, engineering manager at Netflix of the web platform team. I'm Jason Langstorff. I'm the VP of developer experience at Netlify and uh, the host of Learn with Jason. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. Uh, so if you've heard this podcast before, we like to choose keywords that if it's mentioned at all while we're talking, well, you see, we have alcohol. We're all going to take a drink. Uh, so what did we decide the keyword was today? Depth. Depth. Uh, if we say the word depth, that's uh, we're going to take a drink. Um, and today we're actually going to be going, the reason why we chose depth is we're going to be talking about the topic on specialization in software engineering and how it's changed over the past few years. So maybe before we dive in, we should probably, what is specialization and what does that mean to each of you? Uh, okay, so specialization is actually an interesting thing. And, and when, we, when we were talking about this episode, uh, I think I might be like the, the naysayer on specialization here. But so I think the, the idea of, of specialization is that as somebody learns more in their career, they're going to focus down on a specific area. So you might start out as a, a generalist, but then as you get more in-depth uh, on everything, cheers. <laughs> cheers, you start to choose a, a specialization. So you'll maybe go uh, all in on databases or all in on the middle tier node and, and you know, serverless functions and express or whatever it is that you want to build. Or maybe you go all in on CSS or HTML and, and become a great animator. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can specialize. Um, and uh, yeah, so we wanted to talk about how that has happened. I, I, uh, Specialization is a great topic specifically for the front end. So think, think web development. 15 years ago. I know, it's a long time for in web development time. That's like, what, 100 years? Uh, all you had to know is some HTML, CSS, JavaScript. I don't even know what, underscore? Was that 15 years ago? Oh, underscore is definitely, like, it's, yeah, it's about that. Man, yeah. I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, all right, so underscore, you know, some jQuery, that's all you need to know. Now, especially in front end, you have accessibility expert, UX expert, um, performance, what are, what are some other ones? Name, name some front-end uh, specialties. Design systems, Good testing, one. I think. Localization. Yeah, I mean, I think you covered them all. <laughs> I'm like, I'm lost for examples. Um, yeah, I think like for me, specialization, it has broadened in the front-end, but even in all engineering. Like, I don't think it's just specific to the front-end. Like, you mentioned even performance. I mean, that could be front-end, but that could also be back-end or like distributed systems that could be, you know, a little more on the platform side. I think that more and more we are finding that we need these specializations. And to me, that's what I've started to see the, that we've changed. Um, I'm curious to, uh, from all of you, has this become something that you've noticed like just recently changing or is this something that's really been like this forever in our industry? I think like at least from my perspective, it 
has been gradual, but it is more recent. And I think also it has to do with how we're building our applications these days. Um, remembering when I started software engineering, it was sort of like one big single page application and it was like lots of components, backbone, for example, and you're talking to a backend, you know, one, one service. And now it's, well, we actually have started to break up our backends into lots of microservices and we've started to think about the way we build our UIs differently as well with like things like component driven development. Um, and then, you know, having our state management be in different layers. And I, I think it's mostly just, actually, I don't know which came first. It's like a chicken and egg thing is, did we specialize first and then we started building things differently or did we start building things differently and then people started to specialize in those topics to make them more robust so that every layer of what we're building is pretty stable? It's been coming a long time. It's the nature of progress, right? So I don't need to know how the BIOS on my computer works anymore because that's all been obfuscated away on a nice platform. I don't need to know exactly how to deploy a server to uh, AWS because that's been obfuscated away from me. That's the nature of progress. That's the nature of what human development and software development is. So it's natural that there's two ends. And Jason, I know I'm going to steal some of your thunder. There's increased specialization on, on one side, and there's decreased specialization on the other. And the fact is, as software engineers, we are moving towards one or the other. You may not know it, but you are moving towards more of a generalist. You know how to use tools that do a lot of work for you. Or you may be a specialist. So performance is a good one that I always like to go back to. To the point now where you say, hey, Gems, nice to meet you. I am a front-end engineer. I'm like, cool. What do you do? Front-end. That, that doesn't mean much anymore because that's such a broad field. And you could be an expert at you know, web sockets or accessibility or user experience or something like that. That's increased specialization. And Jason, I know you have thoughts on this. So I, I feel like we needed to get to that because you started off by saying, I, I'm, I'm not for this. Uh so yeah, I, I think it, uh, Jem has soundly stolen my thunder, but uh, <laughs> But the I think the thing that's that's been really interesting for me in in watching since you know I, I've been building websites for about twenty years now, and what I saw at the beginning was you know as you said it was just HTML and CSS and like a little bit of JavaScript call it DHTML. Uh, <laughs> oh man, no! Right. I, I feel like we should be drinking to that like, DHTML. <laughs> you know what? Gross. Just pour one out for DHTML, <laughs> right? Like, but so we had we had uh, there wasn't a lot of of breadth to what you could build on the internet because you really didn't have a lot of options. And so as the options grew, we saw jQuery, Backbone, Knockout, all these great tools come in and suddenly you could build way more in-depth experience. But what I saw at the same time is that, you know, we had one option for getting things on the internet which was basically get shared hosting. And that was fine, it wasn't a great experience. You like worked in your FTP server. But then as time went on, we saw you know, Docker, we saw uh, Kubernetes, we saw all these different ways to go out and deploy. You could get Linode and, and stand up a bare metal box, or you could use something more managed or, or you know, specialized hosting like WP Engine. Um, and suddenly you kind of had like this, you needed a lot of expertise to choose where to put something on the internet. So you're, you're becoming sort of a server manager. And then you've got things like you know, MySQL starts showing up in everything. You've got WordPress. You've got to figure out where you're going to put your, your databases. So now you're becoming a database admin. And then you've got to figure out how caching works. You're trying to set up a varnish cache for your, your WordPress site. And, you know, now we're all trying to be caching experts, right? And so that sort of specialization was, was really complicated. 
but we've seen what I would say is, is almost a, a de-specialization where all of those tools are becoming commoditized. If you go out there and you ship you know, a, a pretty much any of the, the modern front-end tooling, you go Netlify, Cloudflare, Vercel, whatever, like the, the cache is there, your serverless deployment is there, you never have to learn any of those things. And so now a generalist is actually capable of building some really, really in-depth and complicated tooling because I don't have to think about how a database works, I just need to access the data. Uh, I don't need to think about how things are served, I just need to define a serverless function and it'll deploy globally for me. I don't need to think about how caching works because the CDN's already there. And so I can use that, that general front-end skill set and skip over a whole lot of really, really challenging specializations that allow me to build a lot more. So that, that's where my naysayer comes in, is I actually think an average web developer is capable of building a whole lot more than an average developer would have been capable of 10 years ago. No, I think that makes a ton of sense, actually. Even something you, like I, you talked about deployment, and that is a big one, or even how to manage a database. All, all that kind of stuff is complex, right? But there's another thing that you hit on that kind of got me thinking is like, we had the jQuery, Knockout, Backbone, and even as I think of those frameworks, they started to take a lot of that heavy lifting off of you too. Like Knockout to me was one of those ones where two-way data binding just took place. And that was huge. Like you would have had to do all that extra work in vanilla JavaScript or jQuery. And here you have something taking that away. You just don't have to think about it as much. And that, even that, I get to your point, is like you're not having to worry about all those little details anymore. So that, that's a fair point. The only thing I, I was maybe going to hammer on a bit there too was like, what happens when you have to debug some of those systems? Like the, the deployment, like something's not working or that performance, that cache, that caching layer is not working. What do you do at that point? Like that can be a problem. So here, here's what I would say is like, who here has been doing this long enough that you've set up and managed your own cache, right? I'm seeing some hands. So I don't know what y'all did when your cache went bad, but what I did is I turned it off and turned it on again. And I hoped for the best, right? That and, always works. <laughs> and, and this was really the problem is like, I, even when I was a specialist, I had no idea how this stuff worked. And so when I go and I use an, an automated CDN, I trust that the people who run that CDN definitely know more about it than I do. And, and so like when I need to debug it, I'll be honest, I've, I haven't needed to. Like I need to debug my own database calls or if I start writing my own cache headers, yeah, I'm gonna get myself into trouble. But typically if I trust the people who run these services and just follow their defaults, yeah, I haven't hit like a caching problem in years. Like it's wonderful, right? I was like, you know what? You're smarter than me. I'm gonna do what you tell me. And, and poof, whole category of problems disappeared from my life. And I think that, that's, that's the part that I, I think is such a game changer is that you know now you don't have to go out and hire a world-class cash specialist you just hire the the platform as a service that already hired those world-class specialists and as they spend their entire like all 2080 hours a year those people are working on making caching as good as possible so that i never ever ever which should be a huge benefit for specialization specialization <laughs> okay all right <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Jason, I like a lot what you're saying about sort of like even specialists can be generalists, especially with a lot of tools. Um, you know, any developer can now do like 
a larger breadth of things than they might have been able to do before. But on the flip side, too, I think that even specialists, you know, like the maintainers of these very specialized tools themselves have an element of generalism to them because they have to sort of understand the boundaries between what they're building and the rest of the world, as well as the different use cases that they're building it for. Um, so maybe, maybe you've converted me now to someone who's also a little bit of a naysayer on the specialism train um, in terms of I think everyone has to have an element of being able to do many things. But, um, you know, breadth first and then maybe depth later. So my, my problem with a generalist is you, you can't be a senior generalist. Like, so I... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You can't be a senior generalist? I don't think you'd be a, a good senior generalist. So we're, ah. we're, we're hiring managers. We hire people. When you're thinking about the composition of your team, are you thinking, oh, I need someone who is a generalist? If you're, if you're hiring someone senior or are you like... I need this specific set of skills and this specific expertise that would round out my team. So, I mean, anecdotally, I was a principal generalist. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that there are definitely cases for everything, right? And one of the things that I've noticed is that at, at Netlify, we have hired principal specialists who have world-class knowledge in one thing. And we've also hired like generalists, principal level generalists, whose job is to look holistically at what's happening within the system and help us spot patterns that, you know, their huge array of knowledge and past experience allows them to spot things that a, a specialist might miss because they're, they're so zoned in on one area of responsibility. So I agree with you in general, though, that it, it, is, it is very challenging, I think, to become a, a generalist at that like if you get hired at a, at a big company as companies get bigger they necessarily specialize so i think the 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 caveat that i would apply is i was a principal generalist at a 20 per right and so that that is a um i don't know if it would make sense for me to get hired at a 500 or 800 person company as a generalist because they probably have a more specific problem than hey come in and look around and see what's going on Right. And, and, or like they do, but like one of those, you know, it's not like a, it's not like every team needs a principal general. I think also to answer that question, I would say it really depends on the team that you're hiring for. What I've seen, I don't know about you all, but companies are forming more and more specialized teams over time. So like platform teams, infrastructure teams, um, a specific microservice team, a, a design system team, like, like what I work on. And I think, you know, there it's very hard to hire a generalist, but sometimes when you're in a product world or a product team or, you know, some other team that's maybe more of a conglomerate of skills, like, you, you know, having a generalist role is, is applicable and probably very valuable for you. So something you said, it makes sense. And uh, I, I like this. This is a, a healthy. The size of the company does matter about specialists versus generalists. Absolutely. Like, I, I'm not going to get pick a big tech company as a generalist. Like, I'm going to have a very specific role there and a very specific stack and a very specific set of skill set. I think the challenge is when I say you can't be a senior generalist is you, even you, principal generalists, uh, as you're self-proclaimed, you have depth in a lot of things. Cheers. Cheers. Like, Jason, I know you, we, we've been friends for a while. You have depth in many, many areas. You may not think of yourself as like deep, but you could probably talk about a variety of subjects. So I don't know. It's hard for me for someone to say like, I have a lot of experiences, but say I'm a generalist. When I, if you're senior, I know you have depth in something. So I think that's where... I try to make that distinction. I, I feel like you had something to say, so I want you to... No, go ahead, Jason. So, so the, 
The thing that I found really interesting is, is thinking about careers. Um, I've heard the phrase T-shaped thrown around for a really long time, where you're, you're kind of shallow in a lot of areas, but you go broad, and then you've got like one area that's like your area. Um, another way that I heard this described that I loved was this idea of paint drip. So if you're a paint drip professional, it means that you go broad and then lots of different areas of expertise, you get varying levels of depth. Cheers. Um, and this is going to be a dangerous. That's good. <laughs> so as you, as you sort of continue throughout your career, so to your point, as I, as I started, I started out as a designer. And then because we needed to do something, I, I figured out how to do some HTML and CSS. And then I got into JavaScript and suddenly I was maintaining servers. And then I got really into the back end and like Node and building microservices and all these sorts of things and got into developer tooling. And at each point along the way, I was gaining more experience that made me more of a specialist. But I think the thing that, that has always really paid dividends for me is the 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 broadness. And I also, so there's another like facet of this, I think, which is the type of person that you are. So I've, I've heard this really interesting categorization of, of people where there are, uh, I think it was Simon Wardley came up with this, but there are pioneers who are like explorers. They dig in, they try new stuff, but they have no follow through right? Then you've got people who are, are town settlers. They'll follow the pioneers. They'll find something that's been sort of exposed and then make it more real. And then you've got city planners, people who will go into an established system and they want to polish it. They want to make it perfect, right? Um, I am a pioneer. If you put me in a system and you ask me to own that system for years, I will quit that job. Like, that's just not how I'm wired. I'm very much like, I want to try stuff. I want to be an R&D. I want to be kind of exploring and seeing what's possible. And I want to hand off the experiments to somebody who doesn't necessarily want to explore, but wants to take something and mature it, right? Um, so I think my career, because I have that, that sort of seeking for new things mindset, the generalism in my career has been a huge asset to me. I think if I was more of, of the town settler type where I, I wanted to own a thing forever, I don't think it would have served me the same way. And so I think that's another sort of dimension of looking at it where I have to make sure I take into account my own, my own story and my own circumstances when I'm kind of making these. So that's an interesting point, Jason. Like, do you think that we, if you're almost too specialized, is it career limiting at that point? No way. Like, like, look at look at somebody like, like Liz Fong Jones or Charity Majors. Like, they're so incredibly deep in their area of expertise, and I'm I, like, I don't want to imply that they don't have any breadth at all. But like, this is they are specialists, right? And they are absolutely doing better than I am. So I, do, I don't think that and that you is... you know to hire them if you need that done, And, right? and that's, that's exactly yeah. what it is, right? Like when, when at Netlify, it, when we're looking at our SRE team, nobody wants to hire me. I am the very last person who should be on an SRE team because I, I just am not wired for it. But I absolutely want a world-class specialist to come in and be on the SRE team. So I don't think it's career limiting at all. I think, it's, I think that it's limiting in the sense that like somebody who is wired for specialization and for, for that like city planner, you probably don't really want an R&D job. It's going to stress you out the same way that I shouldn't take an SRE job because it's... No, that's a fair point. Um, Jem, I'd be curious for you, like, since you're probably leaning more to like specialization is a great thing 
any like, what are some of the positives that you would sell someone when they're like, Jem, I need career advice. Like, why, what should I specialize in? How should, like, what would be the benefit of me specializing in performance? For career advice, you have to be able to go deep on something. Like if you say you're senior, you say you have X number of years of experience, you have to be able to go deep on some topic that you're passionate about. That's why one of my favorite interviewing questions of all time is, how does the internet work? Because it doesn't matter where you work in the stack, whether you're front end, back end, networking, you're gonna be able to tell me some specific part of that, of the internet stack, which is everything, and go really deep on that and show me like your passion, show me what you know. So you do need that specialization in some degree. I really like your analogy of like the pioneer to settler. I always use the hacker, developer, engineer, architect, um, but you know, we're all talking about the same thing. And it's fine, it's about the role that you wanna go for ultimately. Is it, I wanna be perpetually on the bleeding edge, building new things, showing people what's possible. You're probably more of the hacker and there's, there's definitely roles for that. If you're saying, hey, I've got this eight year old code base, it's got a lot of issues, it needs a lot of help. You know, I'm not looking for a hacker there. I don't need someone to, to go in there and, you know, throw around the China. I need someone who's more of an architect and say, here are your problems. I've done this before. I have deep expertise in maintaining complex distributed systems, something like that. So my general career advice is find something you're really passionate about. Go deep on it. Even if it's totally unrelated to what you want to do, be passionate about it because that will show up in later in your career. You'll need that at some point. But don't be over-specialized where you're like, this is the one way to do things because it's the way I've done it for 30 years. Because we've all worked with those people and they're, they're very unpleasant to work with even though they're, expertise in their, they're experts in their field. Don't be that person. Like, have a feel for what the latest technology is. Even if you don't completely understand it, at least have a passing knowledge of what people are talking about. I like that keyword of passion too. I think that's a really good example. And like someone like Mars, I've worked with you for years um, and I've known that you're really passionate about like creating like design systems and building components that scale. And I'd be curious, like how do you think of specialization when it comes to design systems, like specifically? That's a really hard question. I think, I mean, also the, the word design system, the word system is in the name. And so specializing in a design system is not just specializing in one thing, even though it's specializing in an, in an area of interest or like a type of, a type of service, I would almost call it, because you're building components for other people. But it goes back to even as specialists who are building a tool that is like potentially just one very small part of, uh, part of your stack, you still need to know a lot about other things like accessibility, localization, unit testing. In the case of Netflix, it's like um, A-B testing. How do you build components that are flexible enough for A-B testing? And I mean, the list probably goes on. I was just making a list that's like, you know, a page long at this point of the type of work that is, that's involved. And so I think that, I think it goes back to, to Jason's earlier point about, you know, even specialists or generalists because you need to know a lot more than just the one thing you're working on because it exists in a world of tools, in a system of engineering. And I think that's, that's it's hard to really just focus in on that and close your, close your um, eyes off to the rest of the world, I think, to be open-minded again. Like, you know, going back to if you're someone who's like, this is the only way I've done it for 30 years, it's very hard to work with. So just keeping an open mind, even when you are very passionate about something, can also not only open your mind to other things, but make what you're working on even better, I think. Yeah, I, I um, just a little self-plug here. I was just the keynote speaker at All Things Open this, uh, this last week. And the, the topic of that, of that 
keynote was um, seeking and wandering. And this idea that when you, like you have to specialize because you have to practice, right? In order to do anything well, you've got to be willing to put work in and really go after like, what are the finer details? Where's the, the, the true expertise here? But you can only gain expertise in something that you know exists. And so you also have to do some wandering around and looking at what else is out there because otherwise, as you said, you end up that person who's like 30 years down the line and you've, you know, um, Scott Hanselman just said, you know, have, do you have 30 years experience or do you have the same year of experience 30 times? And I, that is a really resonant phrase because you, you can definitely see folks who sort of settle into a groove and they're not really learning more. They're just where they're, they're just where they want to be and they're just coasting. And that's cool. Like you, you don't have to be that thing, but it gets harder to make the claim of like, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's like, well, you haven't been learning for 30 years though. How many of those years have you actually been like becoming a, more of an expert as opposed to just kind of settling into a lane and staying there? Um, but yeah, I think that you, you need, as you said, like there's got to be that combination of both where you're, you're trying to get better at, at the things that you're already good at and trying to see what else is out there so that you make sure you don't get yourself locked. I think that's really well said too. And I think that, I mean, we're at, talking about front end, right? Front end has constantly changed, drastically changed all the time. It's, it's evolving, things are changing. And I think if you did things the way five years ago or even 10 years ago, if you continued down that path, it's probably pretty limiting, right? Like there, we've solved for other things that have come up, things scale better. And so I think to your point there is like, yeah, you have to continue learning. And to Mars's point, you also have to understand some way of which you're connecting to, right? Like you can't just say like, I specialize in this and like, this is all I care about. It's like, no, there's, you have to connect those dots. Now, that being said, I want to go back to the job point because like, so one, we said it's not limiting, but I do feel like being a specialist, you have to know like how to find those right jobs. Like, right. You're not that person, Jason, that everyone's necessarily always just like, that's the guy who does performance. But how do you, how do you find jobs or know that this is the right job for you? Like when you're a specialist? I don't know. You looking for a job? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think um, when you, when you're, so I think part of it is recognizing when you have developed a specialized expertise. I think that I, I speak to a lot of people who are really deep experts who don't believe that. So somebody who has been, you know, making CSS and SVG animations for years, there is a market for that. People really do want beautiful animations and performant animations on their home pages because we see them all the time. And whenever a company drops a really dope animation, it's all that Twitter talks about for like a week and a half, right? And so there's, there's definitely a huge market for that. And, um, you know, Lynn Fisher, who won the, the personal website of the year, if you Woo-hoo! look at, yeah, like give it up for Lynn Fisher. Like, it, yeah. But, but if you look at her work, you can see very clearly I don't know that Lynn would describe herself as an expert, right? Um, and so I don't want to pick on Lynn. So let's talk about somebody, you know, a, a, somebody who's like really into the database space or really into some other, you know, performance or something like that. If you, if you are a specialist and you're looking for that specialist role, you have to first internalize that you are in fact an expert and like be willing to accept that and then go seek those roles specifically. 
because uh, if you if you aren't if you're an expert and you're like, well, I'm just looking for like a little bit of everything, you're you're actually going to struggle on the interviews if all of your depth is here. Sorry, cheers. Cheers. It's been a while. If if you know everything you know is in one category, but you're applying for a generalist role or presenting yourself as a generalist, well, I do a little bit of everything. When you get asked questions out of your your specialization, you're going to struggle in that interview in a way that you would really shine if you said, I am a database specialist. And then they're going to ask you about it. You're going to light up. You're going to talk about it and just like blow somebody away in the interview because that's the thing you said you're good at. So I, I think that's a big part of it as a specialist is, is you have to be willing to own that specialty. I really like that a lot. One, apl- obviously applying to that role. But even if you were in the, maybe not the senior of senior roles, Jim, uh, in the generalist uh, but if you were going for that role, it's also even just highlighting that in the interview in some way of like, I care a lot about CSS. I'm, I'm, I'm that person who just dives deep into CSS or I care about whatever it is, like databases, and you're, you're highlighting that for them too so that they really see that shine and evaluate on that. So I really like that is like even just calling that out in the end. I would be curious too of like, you touched on CSS and like SVG animations and I'm going to call out on Twitter, as oftentimes I'll see people say, like, you have to know JavaScript. In the front-end world, you cannot be, you know, just specialize in HTML or CSS. What are your thoughts on that one? You, like, if you didn't know JavaScript, is that okay? I know several people who are full-time employed who don't really know JavaScript. Um, so I know, I, I think, my personal stance is, it is fun to learn everything, and therefore you should try to learn a little bit of everything. That's sort of my driving ethos. However, I don't think it's necessary. I think it will make things more challenging because the, the more avenues you cut off, the, the more difficult it is to find something that's a good match because the, the shapes get more specific, right? And if, if you make yourself a very specific shape of developer, you have to wait for a company that not only values your skill set exactly and nothing outside of it, but also has a role open and also is a company you want to work for and also is at a budget that you want to work, right? So it starts to really limit your options. But I've watched people do it. Like there are several people in my network who just don't write JavaScript at all and they're gainfully employed. They, they, they do great. Um, but there's not a ton of them, not like comparatively far more people who have been a little bit more general in the, the baseline of their skills uh, have been able to find work. You, you said it well, the more specialized you get and the more expertise you get, the harder it is to find a role that's going to fit you exactly. And the harder it is to find that company that's going to fit that exact role. And generally, the more specialized you are, the more specific the company and probably the larger the company. Uh, a startup of 20 people is going to need a principal generalist. You've got to touch a little bit of everything, database, back-end, front-end, networking, security. But a large company, you're going to be very, 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 very deep into a specific area. Uh, I can think of some roles of uh, some jobs I've looked at. I'm like, that would be cool. That would be cool to be the world expertise of this company in, uh, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like gRPC schemas. Uh, and this, this was Google at a job I was talking to. And I was like, that would be cool. It'd be cool to be that person. However, do I want to be that person? Like, is this really where my passion is going to lie in the next 10 years? Probably not. But there, there is that role for that person. So that, that's the danger of being overly specialized. The upside is 
there's a lot of COBOL engineers in the world who make a lot of money because they're the only ones in the world who can write COBOL. I'm so and glad you brought that one up. <laughs> the, the financial system, is a lot of it's written in COBOL. Nobody writes COBOL anymore. So these people have job security, you know, till whenever, till, till they pass and, you know, they'll do a migration and then you'll have to hire a migration expert and all that sort of thing. So that, that's the upside of being a specialist is once you're world-renowned as that person, you can get paid a lot of money. But your roles are you're going to be very limited. Your career is probably going to be more on one trajectory. So you really have to know what you want to do before you say, I'm going to become a specialist in this area. I like it. That's, that's a good point. The cobalt one, though, like, do you want to be doing that forever? No, probably not. Um, and also, to your point, the migration piece is, like, eventually those things migrate off of it. And so I think you're, you still need some depth. Like, you need, you can't just be, I only pay attention to this. Cheers, I didn't catch that one. So I think I... You just brought up COBOL, and I actually think that's a really important thing to call out because COBOL is a great specialization because it's so ingrained in the industry, right? You, if you over-specialize on something that isn't ingrained like that, like if somebody out there is trying to become like the world NFT specialist, that was such a good idea six months ago, and it's, it's a little bit more challenging now, Right? And so it, it, it should be something that is going to have a little bit more, it's like proven longevity before you specialize because otherwise you're putting your, all your eggs in a, lot of bas in, like a, in a pretty new basket and it doesn't have legs yet. You don't know if it's going to live beyond next year, the next uh, fad cycle. Which even to the like JavaScript ecosystem of frameworks, we've always said like no JavaScript, no the fundamentals because the frameworks do come and go. It's like you could have been a jQuery specialist or a backbone specialist. There's still, there's still code bases out there written in that, but now it's becoming more limiting. And so it's like React, Vue, whatever else is new in the you know, industry. It's like you still need those fundamentals. And so to that point is like you don't want to just jump on the new hotness and say, I'm going to specialize in this because it, it does come and go. It's a valid point. What, what does the future look like, though? Like, do you think it's going to be, our industry is going to become more specialized, less specialized? Like, where, you know, I, I feel like, to me, it's becoming more and more specialized. Like, I feel like everyone is becoming, like, to Jason, your point way earlier was, like, we offload. Like, we really have to only care about a couple things so that someone specializes and takes care of that caching layer. And you, you don't have to think about that anymore. But I'd be curious what you all think is, like, what does the future look like? Um, I mean, I think it's, like, a lot of things that it's probably going to be a pendulum. I just, we're going to, like, specialize more and more and have smaller and smaller teams to a point where it no longer makes sense potentially to have a team or a specialization in that area to some of your points, like, both of your points earlier about how um, it, if you become so specialized, you sort of close yourself off to other opportunities in the future. So... I, th I think part of the specialization we're seeing now is pretty healthy in terms of creating like smaller and smaller, maybe more composable systems. But if you break it down too small, I think that's when we'll see the pendulum swing the other way back to teams that are a bit more of an aggregate of skill sets. Um, but I'm not sure exactly when that will happen. I, that's just my gut instinct. I love you said composability. That, that to me is the future. Have, have any of you ever read uh, Snow Crash? You know, very famous uh, book amongst uh, tech nerds. 
But in it, they describe kind of a, a bleak future, but one that's probably a little closer than we'd like today. But in it, software development is akin to a factory job. You're taking components together and you ship it out the door. You don't really know how the components work, but you know how to put them together in a way and you know how to debug a little bit. That to me is where software development is moving and we can already see it. Instead of me having to know how to configure Apache and configure my firewall, I can just slap some HTML, CSS, slap it in Netlify, it deploys my website. I don't have to know how any of that stuff works anymore. That's what I think we're gonna see more of, kind of that more assembly line or I, I'm an expert in this tool set. However, someone still has to build the tools. Someone still has to maintain the tools. So there's opportunity at both ends. It's kind of where do we wanna be? The world does not have enough software development or software engineers. Like that's pretty clear from the salaries a lot of us get paid is there's not enough software engineers in the world. I don't know if there ever will be. So what we're gonna see is more and more common sets of tooling, more and more component-based systems where you don't have to have that deep expertise that's necessary to be a software engineer today. You can just put together these tools and it works. I think that's okay. I think that's the nature of software, the nature of progress, the nature of software development and human development. But someone always has to build the tools. Someone has got to have the expertise. So there's opportunities at both, both ends. Yeah, I think that, that that's pretty close to, to what I see happening. What, what I've found really interesting is that we need deep specialization at all these software as a service and platform as a service companies. Then we've got all the companies that are just trying to build their websites. They don't need, they're not, they're not building infrastructure and they're not selling a tool to anybody. So I think that we're gonna need a lot of specialization in the developer tooling space. And that is gonna be such a good space for anybody who wants to go deep. If you wanna be a world-class specialist, start looking at that. Like be the one who's figuring out the best tools to make for developers. And then if you wanna be more of a generalist, be one of the people who builds websites. Join a, a marketing team, join an, an agency, uh, you know, work on a, a, you know, a, a fashion brand or an e-commerce brand where you're just going to be working on the storefront because that's going to let you be so broad. You, you get to work with the design systems, with the, the JavaScript framework. You get to do the CSS, do the animation, all these cool things. You get to plug in the APIs, but you don't have to go necessarily go build the APIs. Maybe you write a little you know, middleware. Maybe you're writing some edge functions, but you're not necessarily like digging deep into the microservices. And I think that, like, there's a lot, the, the, the gradient here is pretty pretty broad. You know, I think you're going to find companies that are pretty web native that are, they're going to have a ton of like composed APIs, like composability, I think is absolutely what's coming next, right? Like everything is becoming composable. We just use APIs, plug everything together. So, so some teams are going to be doing slightly more advanced versions of that where you use five or six or 15 different platform software as a service and you're wiring all those together with you know, a little bit of node and whatever that is, and then that's what you bring onto the front end and you get to do all the front end stuff with it and that's super fun, super general. And then there's the people who will build those 15 services and that is real narrow. You're an SRE, you're a database specialist, performance specialist, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think to me that's really exciting because it means that you don't necessarily have to choose, you just have to know where to look for the type of work that you find most energy. I love that you said the part about developer tools too, because I think that you're enabling more of this, like how do you build at scale and, and all that too, is like Netlify is a great example where it's like, it just makes it easier for people. And that that's amazing. Um, but when you're in some large companies, they're having 
organizations that are literally thinking about this. Like I'm, I'm part of Netflix's productivity engineering space. We build tools for our deployments, our like builds, our even in production, like what are, what, what are metrics on that? How, how are things looking? And all those things just take that load off of people so that they can do their like A-B tests. Like we do a ton of that at Netflix or build their feature and get that out the door. And so I do actually see us going more and more in that direction. And I love that you called that out is like, there's companies that exist because of this and will continue to exist. Um, so I think that's like a great way to po- kind of summarize that. So I love that. Yeah, and so you like, this is a little bit tangential, but I find it really exciting because of the work that your team is doing. How long does it take for a, a brand new hire at Netflix to make their first commit to production? Uh, it, it could be better. Um, that's, that's for sure. Um, you know, I think it varies actually depends on the team and everything, but that is something that we're striving to make better, right? We want to make sure that it's really easy so that we take that load off folks to just go and, you know, take it and make it so they don't have to think about all those details. Now, could we do better at documentation, onboarding, all those things? Absolutely. But yes, once you're up and running, things should just work, right? Like you shouldn't have to think about those details. So that's, that's the part that I, like me, my little developer experience heart loves the fact that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the companies that I worked for, consulted for, it was a month. It was, you know, weeks at minimum before somebody new to the company would be able to make their first commit to production. And that was some combination of, Setting up the dev environment was really complicated and way out of their skill set. You know, maybe you've got a front-end developer trying to set up Nginx locally. That's good. You know, it's Fun like, stuff. okay, well, go find a senior engineer to pair with. Um, or it's because the deployment process was too slow. You had to go ask the DevOps team who was way overburdened to make you a, a staging environment. And, they, you know, it takes them a few days to get to it. And so you just have, like, all of this really slow ramp time to get anything done. And because of the, what I would say, the squashing of specialization with platform as a service and software as a service, we've got, you know, when somebody joins Netlify, they can commit first day because all they're doing is cloning a repo and like running a CLI tool and they're just, they, they're, they're done. They're local, local dev, right? And that is such a powerful thing that it takes an internal tooling team. It takes a developer productivity team to think about that. And that's deep, deep specialization so that a generalist like me doesn't have to learn any of that to start building the website when I the website when I join the company. And I think that's so exciting. And even better when you have industry tools doing it, right? Like you're, you can jump around to companies and you're like, yeah, we all use this, like, you know, GitHub, like we all use that. And it's like, that's really cool to just, it's ease of use. So um, yeah, I think that's a good way to end out. I know we're running right up on time. Uh, I want to thank you all for like, checking us out, listening to us uh, on the panel. Uh, maybe I'll throw it to each of you. Where can people find you to tell you you're wrong on specialization? Um, I'm not really on Twitter like a lot of people on this stage, but I'm on Instagram at Mars Josephine with a PH. I am on Twitter at Jem Young, and I will argue with you all day. And anytime, anyplace. I'm kidding. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, but, you know, it's LinkedIn. Uh, I'm at Jay Langstorff on Twitter, Mastodon, wherever. Uh, I don't argue on the internet, but head over to the, the Barks and Brews afterward, and I'll argue the hell out of it. And we've already started, as you can see. 
All right. And you can find me on Twitter, mostly at Burgess D. Ryan. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find Front End Happy Hour at frontendhappyhour.com or on Twitter at frontendhh. Subscribe to whatever you like to listen uh, for podcasts on and give us a listen. Thanks so much. Depth, depth.